When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back. So I want to take some time today to talk about two separate statements, one made by Alan Greenspan, of course, the former Fed chair, and and a second one on a very, I think, related topic made by Boston Fed President Eric Rosengren. And and I think these two topics intertwine. There's there's a lot to talk about asset prices and inflation and whatnot, but I want to start off with the one by Alan Greenspan. You know, Alan Greenspan, I certainly have a conflicted view on the guy. Uh, He was, of course, Fed chair from 87 to 2006. And of course, the thing about being a Fed chair is that you are not the the dictator of Fed policy. The Fed policy is a voting board, and it's, it's not like he was the only one, just like it's not Jerome Powell now. That's the only one deciding what monetary policy is. But of course, they are the head of the Fed. They are the figurehead. And, and they do have uh, a, a larger role in many ways than others in shaping Fed policy. And what's, what's conflicting with me for Alan Greenspan is that, you know, we, we get these types of articles, which I'm going to discuss here in a second, uh, get these articles from time to time about quotes from him, recent quotes in interviews that he does, which, which paint, I think, a picture that, that many of us could could get on board with, right? We could campaign for Alan Greenspan to be made Fed chair once again. In this one, he's talking about how we're at risk of higher inflation, right? And in the past, he's, he's talked about many of these same topics that resonate with us about how central banks are blowing up bubbles and, and asset prices and, and plenty of other topics that, that really fly in the face of anything that maybe Jerome Powell, Ben Bernanke, Janet Yellen uh, would have said in their time as, as Fed chair. But, but what's conflicting for me is that we have to remember that in many ways these words, these, these statements that he makes now, do not completely line up with what he did while he was chairman of the Fed. For nearly two decades, he in many ways paved the way for what Fed policy is today. No, it wasn't him that pioneered 0% interest rates or QE. I mean, mostly that was Ben Bernanke and Janet Yellen and today Jerome Powell that have continued some or all of those policies. Uh, he, he never did QE. Uh, he never lowered interest rates to 0%. And yet he did, as a whole, for my opinion, promote a Fed that was accommodative, a Fed that was reactive to what was going on in the markets in, in many ways, to the markets more than anything else, including the economy, uh, to to uh, prevent a full blown market crash or or full blown you know recession and whatnot, in, in ways that was very similar to what the Fed did during the Great Recession, albeit to to a lesser extent. We have to remember that you know, leading up to the Great Recession, for example, or during the Great Recession, it was Ben Bernanke who took over for for, for Alan Greenspan that was responsible for, for cutting rates to zero and, and starting up the printing presses, right? Uh, but, but Alan Greenspan did very similar things in, in 2000, 2001 in response to uh, the dot-com bubble popping, which, which, again, he spoke out against, 
you know, I think it was 96, you know, several years prior to ultimately blowing up, spoke out against it, talking about irrational exuberance. I believe that that was when he made that that now uh, famous, infamous, whatever statement, irrational exuberance. But but how he responded following that was, you know, when when the bubble ultimately popped was cutting rates. And, and yeah, there was other things in, included in that. I mean, we, we'd just been... Uh, you know, 9-11 had just occurred, the war in Afghanistan was just kicking off, and, and the economy was moving towards a recession. But when it was all said and done, is it the responsibility of the Fed to try and avoid those things or try and stop those things from happening? I get softening the blow, but when you cut rates from where they were to, what, close to like 1% following the dot-com bubble popping, um, that's an overly accommodative Fed, and I think that does not show this this tough guy mentality that Alan Greenspan today, you know, tough on on markets, tough on stocks, tough on on monetary policy that he kind of paints a picture of today. And I get it; he's not the only member of the Fed; he's not the only person that decides monetary policy. And I'm sure this conflicted him. He was conflicted about this many times during his time in office. But but anyways, en- enough about him. I want to talk about the statement here. Uh, this is a an article from CNBC titled, Alan Greenspan says inflation is inevitably going to rise as deficit balloons over $1 trillion. I'll start off with a quote here. Quote, right now, there's no real inflation at play, but if we go further than we are currently, inflation is inevitably going to rise. And of course, I want to break apart that statement here, but what he's referring to primarily is this rising deficit, which I would agree, right? Just like the title said, you know, if, if deficits continue to rise above a $1 trillion, inflation is inevitable. But the question that I would ask is, how come inflation isn't already here? And if you look over the last 10 years, right, we're about 10 years out from the Great Recession, and these huge deficits that we experienced from 2008 onwards, and and they, they came down to some extent following the end of the Great Recession, as, as economic activity picked up, and the government was no longer bailing out banks and major corporations and, and all this extra spending programs, and, and you know, sort of late Obama, early Trump era, all of a sudden that starts to turn around again, and we have Trump tax cuts and whatnot, and all of a sudden deficits are beginning to move back up again. But as a whole, over that 10 or 11-year period, you know, we're looking at an increase in, in the national debt from, oh, I'd say as a ballpark number, 9 or 10 trillion, anywhere from 9 to 11 trillion, we'll say, to where it's at today, uh, about uh, 23 trillion, right? So that's averaging maybe a little over a trillion dollars a year in terms of, of deficit, the real deficit. And so my question would be, how come inflation isn't already here? I mean, isn't 10 plus years long enough, right? And is there really that big of a difference when it's all said and done from three quarters of a trillion to a trillion to one and a quarter trillion? I mean, yeah, there is. That's a f- half a trillion dollar spread. But how come we're not already seeing that inflation when markets know very well that that those those deficits are are never going to go down considerably? They're only going to continue to rise. Any move to the downside is just going to be a small blip to the downside with a big move to the upside. The next recession is going to bring about massive deficits. How come inflation isn't already here? And that's what he says in the statement. Right now, there's no real inflation at play. But is that actually the case? That's, you know, again, where I think uh, Helen Greenspan and so many people go wrong, assuming that there's not inflation in in, in place right now. You know, the current PCE, which is uh, 
the personal consumption expenditure. That's what the Fed uses uh, for for their inflation uh, number. Currently stands at one point six percent, which is below the Fed's self-imposed mandate of two percent. Inflation's not high enough for their liking, and that's what he's basically considering no real inflation. The CPI, last I checked, is like two point two percent, running hot. It, it might be higher than that. I could be wrong, but two point two percent is the number that comes. It's well above two percent. It's above their mandate, but of course the Fed doesn't use a CPI. They use a PCE, which consistently and historically shows a lower level of inflation compared to the CPI, which which allows the Fed to be even more accommodative, print more money, keep interest rates lower to try and pick up that, that already uh, faulty inflation indicator. And so, I mean, this is what's really ridiculous about this. I would agree, Alan, Ains- uh, Alan Greenspan, that yeah, Deficits are going to, you know, ballooning deficits are going to lead to a rise in inflation. But guess what? They already have. I, I talked about this. I mean, this is a topic that is fresh in the mind of my listeners over the last few weeks. I've, I've, I've talked about inflation at length. And, and just, I, I think the core problem here is that, you know, inflation, we're not being told the truth on it, right? CPI, 2.2%, PCE, 1.6%. But real inflation... When you're looking at the real increase in in not just core, you know, non-core items like like energy, and and food prices, uh, at least certain parts of food prices, which may be more volatile, but if you look at just the price of, of housing, the price of healthcare, the price of education, which are three huge components of many Americans' budget, and you add to that the price of transportation, not just fuel, but like the cost of a car. And then you add to that um, increases in other sectors. I mean, you you have inflation that sits around five percent at least right now. And and so I think this is a faulty premise. You know, if if, if I were devil's advocate, if I was CNBC uh, interviewing Alan Greenspan, and he says there's no real inflation now, but if we continue to to balloon these deficits, we're going to run into inflation. I would say, no. I mean, how can you say that? We've had, on average, trillion-plus-dollar deficits for 10 years now. How can you tell me that we're going to run into inflation if we haven't experienced it yet? 10 years is more than long enough for that to work its way into uh, the, the value of the money, to inflate away some of the value of the money. And and I don't think that the answer is that rising deficits um, don't cause inflation, that future deficits ballooning above one, one and a half, two trillion dollars aren't going to cause inflation. I think the answer is that Alan Greenspan and the Fed don't know what real inflation actually is. They're measuring it the wrong way, and and I'm sure that there's an element of potentially an element of pride in this. Now it was you know if you you can look this up on on Wikipedia, core inflation and PCE. Uh, that is when the Fed began. You know, Fed. That's what the Fed uses now. They began using it in 2000, February of 2000, which was um, just prior to the dot-com bubble blowing up, just prior to massive easing by the Fed. It was during Greenspan's uh, tenure, 2000, right? And and here's a quote from Wikipedia. Uh, in Quote, in explaining its preference for the PCE, the board stated, the chain type price PCE index draws extensively in data from the consumer price index, but while not entirely free of measurement problems, has several advantages relative to the CPI. 
The PCE chain type index is constructed from a formula that reflects the change in composition of spending and thereby avoids some of the upward bias associated with the fixed rate nature of the CPI. In addition, the weights are based on a more comprehensive measure of expenditures. Finally, historical data used in the PCE price index can be revised to account for newly available information and for improvements in measurement techniques, including those that affect source data from the CPI. The result is a more consistent series over time. First of all, what you have to understand is that the PCE partly is based on the CPI. The CPI is flawed. And I, I, I would suggest you reference my video from last week talking about why that's the case in terms of uh, just doing a terrible job of, of measuring inf real inflation. It's not doing an accurate job whatsoever. And so already the PCE is going to be flawed if it's drawn on the CPI. But basically what, what I get from this is that They'd say, you know, it, it avoids some of the upward bias associated with the fixed weight nature of the CPI. What I get from that is that potentially the, the PCE is, is an even more downward biased index, right? But again, if you're using the wrong measuring stick to, to measure inflation, right, if you're using the one that always tells you inflation is much, much lower than what it actually is, then of course you're going to go out there in CNBC and say there's no real inflation now, but there might be in the future. If I was Alan Greenspan, I would be asking, well, how come we haven't seen that inflation yet? Is there maybe some way that, that we've screwed up in terms of how we measure it? And of course, that's that's not something he's publicly said. You know, Fed, Fed officials are not going to say that. But it's frustrating because that's a big problem how the government measures inflation. You know, I want to make a video here soon, a podcast soon, talking about silver fortune-isms, um, some different phrases I've come up with. And, and I, you know, I got a comment the other day from uh, Ozzy Alchemist. He's a, he's a um, uh, frequenter of, of the YouTube, you know, Silver Fortune channel. And, and he comments talking about, uh, I don't remember the, the entire comment to a T, but but he was he's from Australia, Aussie, okay? From Australia, and he's talking about this uh, these disputes um, within these these um, counties or, or uh, whatever, precincts or whatever in, in Australia, uh, talking about benefits. I forget if it was, un I think it was unemployment benefits or some aid or it might have been pension, I forget. But the idea behind it was that, that the government was not keeping pace with with the actual cost of living, people are getting upset and whatnot, and it's causing a lot of problems. And of course, when you do ultimately just raise it according to the cost of living, raise these benefits and whatnot, it's going to be passed on down the line through taxes. And I think, you know, the, the, how I replied to that basically was this. Inflation is damaging enough, but what's more damaging to, I think, the fabric of society is when there's inflation and the government's unwilling to admit it. When people don't realize that there's inflation, or can't quite verbalize that that's what's wrong in their life because it creates even more, I think, mismatches between what the government is doing, what companies are doing, and what the average person is experiencing. I think it's far more damaging. It creates a lot of strain because all of a sudden Social Security or unemployment benefits or pensions or whatever are no longer keeping up with the cost of living. True cost of living increases. And it ultimately leads to, to lower standard of livings, increased rates of poverty, etc. But anyways, moving on from Alan Greenspan to Eric Rosengren. Okay, this is a, a speech that he was giving to uh, uh, the Forecasters Club of New York. Okay, 
And unfortunately, this statement he gave here was actually in the Q&A segment. His, his entire speech is up in, in text form. The Q&A segment, as far as I could find, was not. Okay, But basically what he says here is, is I think, really interesting. Uh, he's talking about asset prices and he's talking about rates. And he's talking, first of all, about how uh, he would prefer a high, higher level of rates. I think he's realizing, he's basically saying here, that he's realizing that, that lower and lower rates blows up uh, bubbles blows up um, asset, asset bubbles in the stock market and whatnot. Quote, I do have concerns about that financial stability. I would prefer probably a different level of rates. Continuing on, if you look at the last two recessions, they were not situations where inflation got out of control. They were situations where asset prices went way up and then came way down. So if your goal is to avoid recessions, I think we need to be pretty focused on asset prices, not just inflation. Now, what's what's a bummer for me is I wanted more context of this. And and Zero Hedge seems to be on, uh, of the mind that, that perhaps what he's referring to here in terms of avoiding recessions in the future and about them being asset prices going way up and then coming way down is about inflation. That seems to be what Zero Hedge is saying, that he's basically alluding to not only central banks blowing up these bubbles, but that's a form of inflation. And I don't know if that's true. I don't know because I couldn't get a better context of this. I couldn't find a video or a transcript of this Q&A segment. But in essence, the way that I interpret this is basically he's saying, well, I think the, the key of this is that the Fed is has to be worried about not just inflation, but asset prices. That's what he's saying. I would disagree. I think it's been almost like a, a, a known policy that no one talks about, but everybody knows about, that the Fed has already been targeting asset prices for, for well over a decade, back to the Greenspan era. Um, but but it's it's still nonetheless, I think, a stunning admission. I think that's what they might have even called it. Uh, shocking admission, that's what Zero Hedge calls it, that the Fed has to be more focused on asset prices and not just inflation. But as Zero Hedge points out, why are we why are we going to assume that the S&P going up is not a form of inflation? In fact, he goes, you know, Zero Hedge points out a chart going back to 2009, January of 2009, in terms of asset prices, uh, the, the S&P 500 is up nearly 250%. And yet the GDP here in the U.S. is up maybe 50%. The U.S. CPI is up maybe 20 or 30%, right? Far, far below what the S&P 500 and many other speculative asset classes, including high-yield debt, uh, worldwide stock markets, other stock markets in general, um, bond markets and whatnot, are, are up, Right? Um, that maybe what the Fed has been doing ultimately is sparking inflation, but that it's been disproportionately located in the stock market. And I would agree with that. Another silver fortuneism, uh, the, the stock market today is nothing more than, than a product of, of liquidity and credit growth. And without that, it can't continue to go up. And yet that's what the Fed has been more than willing to provide. Central banks the world over have been more willing to provide for the last 10 plus years. Right? But... I'm also not going to back down on my view that that it's not just the stock market and high yield debt and the bond market that we've seen this asset inflation. As I said before, real inflation for the average person is still you know five percent year over year. 
And it's not just recent deficits and it's not just tariffs. Those things contribute to it, but it's not just those things that have caused inflation to balloon. It's, it's the Fed policy all along. It's QE. It's low interest rates. And that's not going to stop anytime soon. And so we have to ask ourselves, how do we, well, what should we expect going forward? And I think the, the basic answer is more inflation. The Fed is not going to stop inflating. And that means uh, certainly inflation for the average person and, and our expenditures, housing, transportation, healthcare, education, consumer goods, it's all going to likely continue to go up with the exceptions of, of those some products that will get cheaper because technology gets cheaper or, or economy of scale and whatnot, right? But as a whole, I think it's safe to assume that inflation is not going anywhere except for up and that it's already much, much higher than the Fed and most people realize. But the other thing that we have to wonder is, what does this mean for the stock market? What does this mean for the uh, high-yield debt markets or for the bond markets? You know, uh, I saw a recent article over on Zero Hedge talking about an analyst uh, calling for, for Apple to, to fall to $150 a share. They're currently around 280 a share. And, you know, I think to myself, like, oh, that would be a fun, <laughs> you know, shorting opportunity if I could get that, you know, if you could time that right. Uh, maybe not all the way to 150, but even if you could catch, um, you know, through using put options or whatever, catch Apple falling from 280 to 200 or 220, right? That's, you know, quite a bit of profit potential there. But then I have to ask myself, is that going to happen though? Like eventually, yes, what goes up must come down when it comes to the stock market. But can I really, especially in options trade where, where solvency or at least you know the value of the options matter, can I remain solvent longer than the, the Fed can can pump up these asset prices, right? That's just another way of rehashing, you know, the market can remain irrational longer than you can remain solvent. The, the Fed can remain supportive and accommodative, even if it's crazy accommodative, much longer than, than I could remain solvent. So I don't know if I'm going to take that opportunity or take that chance or not. You know, it'd be fun to do at some point in the future, but but certainly Christmas time and whatnot, I, I probably wouldn't have the money to, to shorten a big way anyways. Uh, in fact, I could tell you that I wouldn't. But, but, you know, in the future, it'd be something I'd consider, but we always have to wonder that, you know, if the Fed is continuing to blow more in liquidity and more um, credit into this system, and if that's what stocks thrive on, then why would we believe that's going to reverse anytime soon? And I think the answer to that question is that it eventually will reverse, and it's going to be predicated by two different things, a realization of just how high inflation is, as well as a realization that uh, the Fed is, is going to be stuck in this situation forever, and that's going to become less and less effective as the Fed creates more and more liquidity, more and more credit as the Fed monetizes more and more debt, and it becomes clear that monetization of U.S. debt is going to be the unstated goal of, of the Fed indefinitely to the tune of, of hundreds of billions or trillions a year. Right? Once people realize that, all of, all of a sudden the Fed and, and central banks the world over lose a fair bit of their power and become uh, much, much more damaging to the stock market, I think, than what they are today. But, but it's so hard to say. Is that a month away? Is that three months away? Is that a period of years away we don't know yet but but stay tuned um it's certainly coming 
and and inflation is is certainly coming as well. But please, please do not forget that despite what Alan Greenspan says about no real inflation right now, uh, inflation's here and it's here to stay. As always, thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning into today's podcast and God bless.